Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. This is the Interpreter Foundation radio show. The Interpreter Foundation exists to encourage study of the gospel and faithfulness to the church by making the latest scholarship available in this journal, publishing books, holding seminars, creating documentary films and feature films, and by providing roundtable discussions of the scriptures. You can find us at interpreterfoundation.org where you can find all of our materials, including these radio programs that are posted as podcasts. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or through any of the other podcast apps on Apple and Android devices. If you like this show, tell your friends about us and write a review on iTunes or on your favorite site for podcast apps. This is Steve Densley, and tonight I'm joined in the studio by co-host Mark Johnson. Hey, Steve. And on the phone by Professor Daniel Peterson. Dan, were you able to make it on with us? Well, I think so. Am I there? You're here. Great to have you. We uh, will be discussing tonight an article that Dan recently published in the Interpreter's Journal. We'll be talking about Joseph Smith's first vision, and we'll be talking about the cultural and historical context of the Sermon on the Mount. So, Dan, we're so happy to have you joining us this evening. It's always a pleasure. Of course, you are the president of the Interpreter Foundation, and you've been busy at work lately on one of the uh, latest uh, projects for the Interpreter Foundation. It's a follow-up to the uh, Witnesses film. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how things are going? Yeah, we're a new project. We, we enjoyed working on Witnesses so much and, uh, and like to think that maybe did some good that we decided we'd like to do it again. And we always had that in mind, that if any money came in for witnesses that we could move on to another project, we'd, we'd do something else, sort of like the Perpetual Education Fund or the Perpetual Immigration Fund. Hey, Dan, um, D- Dan yeah. you're, you're kind of coming in and out on us. I wonder if um, if you're holding the phone up. Uh, well, let me see if I can do it a little better now. How's this? No, that's 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 not that's not as good. So, sometimes you're just perfect, and sometimes it's really kind of muffled. But um, is there is there anything you can figure out on on your end? Well, I can't see anything that I'm doing wrong. Um, okay. Well, it looks like the it looks like our audio um, uh, levels, the visual level, looks like it's just fine. So maybe it's something with our speaker here. So why don't you just go ahead, and we'll hope for the best. Okay. Well, let me move around a little bit. I couldn't come in in person, but a little under the weather, and I thought it was the better part of Christian virtue not to pass that on to you two. <laughs> so um, uh, let me go out somewhere else in the house and see if it maybe will pick me up a little bit better out here. Am I better now? Can you tell? Um, no, but we, we can we can hear you. It's just not a very strong signal, but like I said, the... Um the, uh, the the audio levels on our computer readout here looks like it should be okay, so uh, let's let's press forward. Okay. Well, I'm saying that uh, that we did witnesses and we enjoyed it enough. We always had in mind that if it was at all a success, if any money came in uh, from it, 
and we would devote that money to uh, to another project, sort of in the manner of the perpetual education fund or the perpetual immigration fund, you know, where we just keep rolling it over and doing the next one. Uh, and so the project that we decided to do is one that we're calling Six Days in August. And that refers specifically to the early part of August 1844, when Joseph Smith had been killed at the end of June, and, uh, and now people had gathered to Nauvoo to decide what, if anything, to do about the, um, uh, the succession in the presidency of the Church. Who would lead the Church? Basically, uh, there were two main uh, <clears throat> opposed uh, factions at that point. There would be some others later on. But, uh, but essentially, it was Sidney Rigdon, who had been a counselor in the First Presidency, who uh, offered to guide the Church as a guardian for the Church on behalf of Joseph Smith. And then uh, Brigham Young, representing the Twelve, uh, staked the claim of the Twelve to Church leadership. So we want to examine that those the events leading up to that. It's a very dramatic story, and, uh, you know, will make for a great film just in and of itself. Uh, but also, excuse me, but also we want to... Uh, to tell in the documentary portion of our program uh, about what we see as the preparation of the Twelve for leadership. Um, when Joseph Smith was incarcerated in, in uh, excuse me, Liberty Jail, uh, and he couldn't lead the church, it fell upon Brigham Young and a few others to lead the emigration out of Missouri to Illinois. And then uh, later on, uh, the Twelve were sent to England, and there they had to run the church in England thousands of miles away from Joseph, they couldn't turn to him for leadership. So, effectively, when Joseph was killed in 1844, the Twelve had already led the Church, in a way, um, twice. So, I don't think they realized it, but they were being groomed and prepared for the role they would assume. So, that's the story we want to tell. And as I say, it's quite a dramatic one. Um, so, we're right now in the process of uh, putting together the script for that is substantially done, but not quite finished. That's for the theatrical film part of it. And um, and frankly, I'm out there raising money because we won't have enough from witnesses to do another film. Um, we have to supplement it with money we raised for this one. And, um, and just generally... All right, we lost Dan Peterson. Uh, we're having having some trouble with the uh, connection that we had. Uh, we'll try to get him right back on the line. But um, we have been uh, really just grateful for the support that uh, has been received for the Witnesses Project and then for the follow-up that was undaunted Witnesses of the Book of Mormon, which is the documentary film that takes some clips from witnesses. Uh, it takes some, uh, there, there's some, you know, uh, dramatic um, uh, reenactments that don't even appear in the Witnesses film that are fascinating. One, one with Hiram Page being attacked almost to death by a mob. Um, it's a great scene. Um, it's one that we don't hear about much at all. I, I'm not sure I'd, I'd ever heard of it before I saw it in I this, this I, film. Not, not to that extent. It's a least. great, great, uh, great scene. And then, um, of course, the highlight of the Undaunted film is all of the interviews mm -hmm. with some of the top scholars of uh, Joseph Smith. 
um, including well, some that are not members yeah, of the church. Exactly. That was that was one of the most impressive parts to me is hearing um, other you know scholars who were not members of the church who you know still had this disrespect and, and admiration for the the work that Joseph Smith did and the the movement he founded. Right, and um, of course, the witnesses' film was uh, was so well done. Um, won three different film awards, including the uh, best feature film at the um, LDS Film Festival. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about the, uh, the 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 upcoming project. Six days in August. So it, it sounds like they're doing an uh, accompanying documentary with that as well, just like the witnesses one. Same kind of thing. So the you know, interesting thing about the witnesses film is that originally it was uh, intended to just be a documentary, and as they got into it, they started feeling like you know this is a really great story. This would make a great feature film. And uh, so, so it was. They kind of shifted along the way, and the documentary project expanded to become a feature film project, also. And so that was released first. And so it's a, it's just such a great way to tell the story, where you have this feature film followed with a documentary that uses clips from the film. Uh, and then commentary that can go out. Uh, we, we, of course, have what are called insights mm-hmm. that are on the Internet. Uh, people can find them at interpreterfoundation.org. Uh, they can also see them at witnessesofthebookofmormon.org. Uh, find them on our Interpreter Foundation YouTube page. Um, really very uh, insightful, uh, you know, breaking up in just small bites, five to ten minute clips about different aspects of the witnesses, um, you know, Joseph Smith, the production of the Book of Mormon. Um, most of them are interviews with Garrett Dirk Mott, mm-hmm. and um, Dan Peterson also appears in a number of them, Jeff Bradshaw in one. Um, I think we've got Dan back on the phone. Dan, you back with us? You do, and I don't know how much of what I said you heard or how long I'll stay. <laughs> um, well, you, you were, uh, I think you were kind of finishing up um, in, in, your, uh, uh, in your description of where we're at with the film. Okay. Um, I, you know, one of the questions I think that uh, is, is maybe going to be raised, and, and this, this is what Mark was, was uh, asking about, was uh, will the Six Days in August project also involve a documentary film companion? Yeah. That is the plan right now. Now, you know, things can always morph in in the evolution of a project like this. I mean, witnesses did. Um, but that's what we envisioned. We liked the, the way that worked. And uh, we tell a story, which is kind of a teaser in a way, and then go into it in more depth in the docudrama or documentary, and then answer specific questions that didn't fit the narrative arc necessarily uh, in the shorter features thereafter, questions that come up, or objections people might raise, or points of curiosity that we think need to be explained. So our, our idea right at this point is to do pretty much what we did with Witnesses, that three-part uh, kind of project. Well, I'm uh, I'm very excited to see uh, you know what the uh, production crew comes up with. This is Red Brick Films. Um, Mark Goodman, 
was the director of the Witnesses film and, and Undaunted, and he will be the director of this next project. Russ Richens was uh, the producer. Of course, Dan and Debbie Peterson, executive producers. Uh, just uh, a great track record so far. So I think it's uh, going to be a great uh, project coming up. Uh, I just noticed, uh, oh, I think this last week there was a volume two or a second um, second film regarding this conspiracy theory that Brigham Young was behind the assassination of Joseph Smith. Did you did you hear about that, Dan? Oh, they, I, I'd heard that one was coming. I hadn't heard that it had actually dropped. But yeah, had, I, apparently uh, there's a third. Apparently there's a third um, uh, volume as well that they're going to be uh, releasing sometime. In the next uh, next little while, but uh, you know, from what I saw on on Facebook, saw some pictures. Looked like they had a fairly packed audience at uh, uh, one of the, the, the local movie theaters. Um, so they've got uh, a little bit of a following of people who actually believe that Brigham Young orchestrated an assassination. Uh, the assassination of, of of Joseph Smith that you know was carried out, of course, by uh, John Taylor and and Willard Richards that are you know there at the time and they're just doing Joseph Smith's bit or Brigham Young's bidding to to try to get rid of Joseph Smith and make way for their own agenda, uh, you, you know. And then of course there are people that are saying you know Brigham Young University should be renamed because Brigham Young was you know such a shameful figure. Uh, there there are a lot of attacks against Brigham Young at this time, which by extension call into question the legitimacy and authority of the modern Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. So I think that this is a very important important time to be telling Brigham Young's story and how it is that he uh, ascended to the leadership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm really shocked at the way that Brigham Young is being thrown under the bus by a lot of people now. And I, I do see it as, maybe not what the people themselves intend, but might be the, and I hate to start you know, citing satanic conspiracies here, but what better way? to undercut the modern authority of living prophets and apostles than to call into question the apostolic succession in 1844. You delegitimize them entirely. I've had people tell me, oh, I, I like Brigham Young. I, mean, I, I like Russell and Nelson, but I can't accept Brigham Young. Well, if you cut Brigham Young off, you've just cut President Nelson off, too. Yeah, so it's an important story that needs to be told. It's it's timely uh, with uh, so many of the attacks against Brigham Young right now. So uh, great project, and I would encourage people to donate, um, get involved in this project, um, help us out in in promoting this and 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 making this film. Um, again, it's uh, you know the the production team has a great track record. And uh, it's it's an important story that needs to be told. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Can I ask one question? Um, sure. Since we got Dan on the line, um, one of the things that really um, struck myself and a lot of people um, about the movie Witnesses was um, just an attempt to show Joseph Smith as you know just a, a mortal with with flaws, um, with a with a temper that he dealt with sometimes, um, you know, like the rest of us. Um, I would imagine right. Brigham Young would be um, treated the same way. Would that be would that be right? 
That's exactly right. I mean, I I laid down the law as producer, you know, uh, executive producer early on, that I did not want witnesses to be, well, and I don't mean to be pejorative here, but I didn't want it to be a... All right, we lost Dan again. I'll try to uh, bring him back on the line. Hello. Dan, we, we, we lost you again. You were saying that you, you did yeah, not I'm, want I'm not sure you, you, work. you did not want the, uh, the new film to, to be what? What were you saying there? Well, I, I said I didn't want it to be a visitor's center film, but I don't mean that to be pejorative. It's just that the church um, has an interest in telling the story in a certain way. But we can't show everything to be always sweetness and light. Um, there were conflicts. That's why the witnesses left the church. There were conflicts at the death of Joseph Smith. We have to show that. That's the story. That's what makes it dramatic. So I, I laid down the rule early on that I did not want this to be saccharine, the witnesses made. I've done the same thing in a way from a different angle with, uh, with 16 August. I don't want us to demonize Sidney Rigdon, because I think he was a good man who meant well. He was chosen as a witness uh, of the three degrees of glory and everything else, so I have no interest in, in disparaging him. I don't want to demonize Emma Smith. I grew up hearing that Emma was a bad woman. I don't think that was true. So we're going to try to be sympathetic to all the parties involved. Now, I confess I'm not a big fan of James Jesse Strang. So I'm going to struggle with that one. If, if Pee Wee Herman is available to play James Strang, I'd be fine with that. Um, but um, but we want to portray this uh, in, a, in a very honest way, once and all. Well, again, the film is Six Days in August. You can go to interpreterfoundation.org uh, to help donate or... Uh, I think there's a six days in August. Is there a six days in August uh, website yet up, Dan? There is. Yeah. Do you know what the yeah, URL uh, for that is? Well, I can find it. I think fairly quickly. Six days in August is the major component. <laughs> so, if you look up six days in August film, I think it'll take you there. Okay, so six days in August film, I think, is probably another place people could go if they want to donate. Is that right? There probably is donate yeah. button there. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, great. Well, yeah, there it is. It's contribute now. So six days in August dot com. Yeah, uh, well, you know what? Uh, what a great way to help support Brigham Young at this time when he's under attack. Uh, yeah, Dan. You know, uh, every week the Interpreter Foundation publishes a new article and. Uh, every now and then, we are fortunate enough to get a new article from you. Uh, this came out this last Friday. People can find this at interpreterfoundation.org. It's called Beautiful Patience. Um, Dan wanted to spend a few minutes to uh, talk with you about this article. Dan, could you tell us, first of all, a little bit about the, uh, the conference that um, inspired this uh, this paper and maybe tell us how you got involved with that with that conference yeah yeah I was asked to participate and it's it's the first annual they hope to do it more than more than once the first annual Hazara conference now the Hazara people are a predominantly Shiite group who live in central Afghanistan um, in the very uh, very mountainous area full of high mountain valleys and so on 
it's the area, some, some will recall the story of the Bamyan Buddhas that the Taliban destroyed quite a few years ago. Uh, Bamyan is in Hazaristan, or um, the area where the Hazara people live. And the Hazara, because they're Shiites, have been discriminated against very, very badly by the Taliban, who are ethnically distinct and also Sunni Muslim. And they have killed a lot of the Hazara people. And so many of the Hazara are now living in exile in the West, in the United States, and and so on, mostly in the United States, in a, a large number, for some reason, in Utah. Uh, possibly because the Utah landscape is a little bit like the one they know. But um, they <clears throat> decided to hold this conference, and BYU offered to hold it. They have some contacts in the uh, BYU Department of Communications who are very friendly to them, and so they helped them, provided some support. And so they, they wanted to have um, political discussions, but also religious ones, about what do we make of the fact that such evil has befallen us, um, how do we sustain that? Someone told me that they've had members of their community who've lost faith because their people are being butchered. They call it a genocide. They're trying to get an, uh, an action taken by the United Nations to declare it genocide. And uh, <clears throat> some, of their, some of their people have, have just fallen away from their faith, uh, losing confidence in God. So they wanted to know if I could talk about prayer. Oddly enough, I thought they wanted me to talk about prayer from a Muslim point of view. They didn't. They knew that they were being hosted by Latter-day Saints, and so they wanted a discourse on prayer from a Latter-day Saint perspective. Um, so I tried to do that, and uh, but also to provide some things that they would be familiar with from the Islamic tradition, specifically from the Quran. So I talked about the idea of prayer, and faith in God that prayer will be answered, though not always on our timetable. Sometimes the righteous, the just, the innocent suffer, uh, despite our prayers. And we just have to be confident that there is a God in heaven who is keeping notes and who will make everything right in the end, if not immediately. And so it was, it was kind of a it was almost the kind of talk that I would give in a sacrament meeting, except it was addressed to a predominantly Muslim audience. Well, as I finished it, I thought, you know, this is a message that every believer needs to hear, I think, and be reminded of. It's easy to talk about it, but when bad things happen to you or someone that you love and prayer doesn't seem to be working, then that's when we need to be encouraged and bucked up a little bit. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll reprint this in interpreter as my introduction, my uh, my essay for this volume. So that's did. where it came from. Glad you did. Well, it's uh, you. it's thank a good you. story. Um, there's a lot of a lot of good insights in there. And it is something that we as, you know, God's children, you know, are frequently uh, confronted with, you know, all the yeah. time. Why why is this happening to me? And it it's uh, almost refreshing to see that, you know, that that these same kind of questions pop up you know, no matter no matter what our background or no matter what our culture is. Yeah. Well, I found it very humbling to try to speak to them because everyone there was in exile. And many of the people there, I'm sure, have lost loved ones in, in the battles in Afghanistan and, and so on. I thought it's, it's almost too easy for me, a comfortably situated Westerner, to lecture them on patience and adversity. But I felt that's what I had to do. And... Uh, but I was aware all the way through that 
that here I was speaking to people who really, really were suffering. I wasn't sure how they'd respond, but they responded extremely positively. So I was happy that it went over that well. That's good to hear. One of the things that struck me in, in your uh, presentation here, it talks about um, how the Quran, it says, uh, frequently distinguishes between, and it says, al-Dunya and the al-Akira. Am I pronouncing that yeah. kind of close? Yeah. I think yeah. that's a, an interesting insight that um, I, I think about that quite a while. I know um, others like uh, Nibley has, has mentioned, uh, you know, this world and the other world and you know, which one's the yeah. real one. And I think that really does um, kind of change the the parameters of the, the discussion about good and evil and, and suffering. Yeah, I think it does. Um, yeah, for a long time I'd wondered about the term dunya for this world. It, it, it means the near. Well, there's a noun that's supposed to be implied, the near world, the near life, as opposed to al-akhira, which means the far life, the distant life. Uh, or even the last life, the the one that really matters. And it seems to me <clears throat> that uh, the Quran and and you know our own scripture will often say, "Look, this life doesn't matter that much." Now it's again, it's the only life we remember, and it's it's the only life we can see. And so you know, it's it's natural for us to to tend to think, "Oh, this is all important. Whatever happens." Here, if I'm defeated, that's it. I'm defeated. But from the eternal perspective, maybe for us too, once we arrive on the other side, we'll say, oh, oh. We'll say, oh, we've lost Dan. So let's, uh, let's, let's call Dan back again. Hello? Dan, we uh, have you back on the line. We, <laughs> I'm not sure why we keep dropping you, but uh, uh, I'm not either. I'm not moving at all. I've been sitting here like a statue. We have gotten a um, message on our line here about uh, having a, a poor connection, but it looks like we're just fine. So probably uh, weather related. Let's see. Can we remember the the, the thought that, that Dan was expressing when we? Oh, he was talking about the the near life and the the far life. Yeah, the Quran makes the point that the far life is the real one. This this life is only, it even uses the expression, this life is but play. Um, and it's just a foretaste of the next life. And I think it's easy for us to, to lose track of that. I mean, we can't see the next life. We've forgotten the previous life. And so this seems all important. So things that happen in this life seem just to, well, what could possibly make up for that? But But, you know... Years from now, we'll look back and say, well, that was genuinely terrible, but it was so brief. It, it just didn't, it didn't last that long, and it really doesn't have eternal ramifications. I remember once uh, being unprepared for a final exam. I just wasn't where I wanted to be, and, and I was really depressed about it because the exam was coming up. And then all of a sudden, the thought occurred to me, you know, a million years from now, you won't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's not very helpful right now, but actually it is kind of helpful to to think that these things won't matter that much in the eternities. I do have those same kind of thoughts as I'm trying to uh, declutter my basement, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, is this old beanbag going to gonna you know make a difference for me in uh, 10,000 years? No, probably not. Right. <laughs> I can let it go. <laughs> um, right. I wonder also if you could tell us just a little bit about the uh, the title of the article, "Beautiful Patience," and, and it, that's such a 
a, a, a evocative um, image. Just it's, it's yeah, it's really delicious to to, to kind of chew on. It's actually a phrase from the Quran. It occurs at least two places. Um, the one that I was thinking of, I actually used it as the dedication for my doctoral dissertation, which I dedicated to my wife. And then underneath in Arabic, it said, Sabrun Jamilun, beautiful patience, because she put up with so much to see me through to that, to that goal. But in the, uh, in the Quran, the most famous place where it's used is when, uh, when the father of Joseph, who's being lied to by his sons, he's disposed of his favorite son, Joseph, um, and they're telling him, oh, he was killed and all this sort of thing. And he, he smells something funny about this. It seems fishy. But he can't, he can't see a way through it, so he just says to himself in the Quran, beautiful patience, I trust in God. God will fix everything on his schedule. And so I just trust in him, and I thought... That's exactly what I was exhorting the Hazara in that audience to do, to just hold on, hang on, things will be okay. Just to have a, a so, beautiful sense of patience, just trust the Lord yeah. and do it um, you know, with as much joy as you can bring to it, I'd imagine. Yeah, if you really believe in God, you believe that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, and all-good, and in the end, things will be okay. Now... When will that end be? We don't know. Might well, be right away, immediate vindication, but it almost never is. You know, it, it reminds me of the story of C.S. Lewis and, um, and his wife, uh, Joy, where she's dying of cancer. And he's, of course, praying for her that she'll recover. And uh, this... This, this episode in his life is portrayed beautifully by William Nicholson in uh, his play, Shadowlands. It was made into a movie um, where C.S. Lewis is struggling with this. Uh, you know, of course, just beside himself that his wife is uh, struggling with cancer. And his friends, uh, fellow professors at Oxford, um, you, you know, most of them, I think, atheists. Of course, J.R.R. Tolkien was an exception to that. But, um, you know, a couple of his friends there at Oxford make this comment to him, you know, kind of ribbing him a little bit, um, you know, and saying this is going to, uh, you know, uh, Jack, you know, C.S. Lewis, Jack has been uh, praying, and this will, you know, give him the chance to find out if his prayers really uh, have any effect. And you know, it raises this issue of why do we pray and what, what good does it do? You know, God knows what we need. God knows what we want. Uh, why do we utter the words? And uh, C.S. Lewis makes, a, you know, through, through uh, you know, who, who, I'm not sure if C.S. Lewis said this or not, but William Nicholson did, and it's, it's a great statement. He says, he says, you know, I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes me. Yeah, and um, I and I thought that was uh, that was a great way of putting it, and it's it's not unlike the statement that appears in our own Bible dictionary about prayer. You know, when when we wonder, um, you know, like you say, sometimes we have to have patience. Sometimes you know we pray. I've heard somebody else express it in these terms. You know, God's not a vending machine. You know, where you put in your quarter and push a button and, you know, the candy bar drops out. 
uh, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, there's a process we go through, and sometimes the process requires patience. Um, this is what the Bible Dictionary says. It says, many of the so-called difficulties about prayer arise from forgetting this relationship, the you know, relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. Prayer is the act by which the will of the Father and the will of the child are brought into correspondence with each other. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but to secure for ourselves and for others blessings that God is already willing to grant, but that are made conditional on our asking for them. Blessings require some work or effort on our part before we can obtain them. Prayer is a form of work and is an appointed means for obtaining the highest of all blessings. Um, I, I think that helps answer some of the questions we sometimes have. It still requires patience, and that's that's not comfortable. Um, but I think it's helpful to understand that uh, this is a process that is intended to help us to grow and um, you know to, to help bless us. And you know, God definitely wants to bless us. Sometimes there are things we need to go through before we can receive those blessings. Yeah, yeah. I think those are beautiful thoughts. Exactly. Well, Mark, do you have any other uh, questions for Professor Peterson on this article? Um, no, I think um, I appreciate, uh, Dan, appreciate your uh, putting your thoughts down on, on this and uh, sharing it with us. This was a, a good read. I'd encourage all of our listeners to go and peruse this if you haven't done so already. Well, the article is called well, Beautiful Patience by Daniel C. Peterson. It can be found at interpreterfoundation.org, where if you click on the, the link to the journal, uh, that article will come right up. 